This is Getting to Know Your Bible, a program dedicated to the proclaiming of the good news of Jesus Christ. Here's Billy Lambert. There have been many dark days in the history of the world. It was a dark day when sin entered into the Garden of Eden and caused the expulsion of Adam and Eve from that paradise. And as a result, sin and suffering entered into the world. It was a dark day during the days of Noah when God said, The end of all flesh is come up before me. And God destroyed the world with water, saving only Noah and his family. But the darkest day of all is the day that Jesus Christ died on the cross. Try, if you can, to visualize our Lord hanging on that cross. His head covered with blood. There was a crown of thorns put on his head. And there would have been blood trickling from those puncture wounds. But Isaiah, the 52nd chapter, by way of prophecy, predicted the death of Christ. And Isaiah said that his visage would be marred more than any man, meaning that he would be so beaten around the face that he would not be recognized as a human being. See, see the nails that are driven through his hands and then there, there are the nails that were driven into his feet. And there the Son of God is suspended with heaven above and earth beneath. As it were, forming a bridge for mankind from earth to heaven. According to Jewish law, the body of Jesus must be removed before sundown. A man by the name of Nicodemus comes and with very loving and gentle hands he takes the body of Jesus down from that cross. He carries him not very far away actually to a tomb, a tomb that was new. No one had ever been buried there. And Jesus is placed inside that tomb. And then after he's placed in that tomb, there is a mammoth stone that is rolled against the mouth of that tomb. 
that, that stone could, what, could, could possibly have weighed in the neighborhood of 1,500 to 2,000 pounds. Massive. And there are soldiers that are stationed just outside that tomb to guard the tomb. It's now three days later and women come to the tomb of Jesus, that is, they're on their way, according to Luke 24 and 1. It is Sunday morning. And on their way, they raise the question, who shall roll away the stone for us? And to their amazement, when they get to the tomb, the stone has already been rolled away by an angel. And this angel, a young man, as he's mentioned in the text from Mark 16, is sitting there. And he says to the women, if you're looking for Jesus, I, I want you to know he's not here. According to Matthew's gospel, that angel said, He is risen. Jesus has been raised from the dead. Je Jesus had promised that to his disciples. In Matthew 16 and 21, he told them that I must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things at the hand of the chief priests and the scribes, and, and be killed, and raised again the third day. When some of the Jew Jewish leaders began to ask Jesus for a sign, He said, there's not going to be a sign given except the one of, of Jonah. And he said, just like Jonah was three days and three nights in the whale's belly, even so must the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. See, Jesus promised that he was going to be raised. It had actually been predicted that Jesus would be resurrected. David was one of their prophets. David was also a king, but he was also a prophet. And in the 16th Psalm and in verse 10, he said, by way of prophecy, Thou wilt not leave my soul in Hades, that is the unseen world, neither will you suffer your Holy One to see corruption. His body will not decay. Later, the day is Pentecost. This is actually centuries later. Again, it's the first day of the week when this event occurred in Acts chapter 2. And Peter is now the spokesman. And he tells them about Jesus and about Jesus' death. Actually saying to them, "By you have by wicked hands of 
crucified him and, and you killed the Son of God. But then he says, this is in the 24th verse of the second chapter of Acts, whom God hath raised up, having loosed the pains of death, because it was not possible that he should be holden of it or that he should endure it. I've often thought, if there was ever a place ever a time and ever a people to prove that Jesus Christ was a fraud this was the place where he was crucified and buried the people who called out for his death were there and this was the time but they could not disprove it and so Peter is quoting the prophecy of David, someone that they revered. And he said, He seeing this before spake of the resurrection of Christ, that his soul was not left in hell, neither did his flesh see corruption. That's in verse 31. And so the resurrection of Jesus was promised by Christ. It was predicted by the prophets. But it was also preached. Paul, the apostle, came into the city of Athens, a pagan city. And as he came into that city, he saw all of the idols that they had erected. It has been said that it was easier to find a, a God in Athens than it was a man. They were so plentiful. And when he came into the city of Athens, Greece, his, his heart was stirred within him because he saw all of this idolatry. And he said, as I passed by, he said this to the men there in Athens at the Areopagus. I saw an idol with this inscription to the unknown God. Maybe they thought there's some God we don't know about. And there was, in fact. But this is what Paul told these pagans. Him, therefore, whom you ignorantly worship him declare I unto you. He said, I'm going to preach to you about that unknown God. And he said, he is a God who cannot be confined to a building. He told them he doesn't dwell in temples that are made with hands. Their gods were in temples. He said, this is a God who has determined the bounds of our habitation. He said, this is a God in whom we live and move and have our being. We would not be here, would we, were it not for God. So he preached to these people about that unknown God. And then he said, the times of this ignorance, what ignorance? Their idolatry. 
They're worshiping this God that they knew nothing about in an idolatrous way. All of their idolatry. He said the times of this ignorance God winked at, but now commands all men everywhere to repent. That is to turn, to change. Why? Verse 31. Because... He has appointed a day in the which he will judge the world in righteousness by the man whom he hath ordained, whereof he's given assurance unto all men. This is our assurance of this, in that he hath raised him from the dead. He said to these Athenians, God raised his son from the dead, declared to be the son of God with power according to the spirit of holiness by the resurrection from the dead. That's found in Romans chapter 1 verse 4. But the women ask on their way, who shall roll away the stone? You know that stone is speaking to us today. That that stone speaks of the despair of death. That stone blocked the entrance to the tomb. And it symbolizes something for us today. You know death is is a cruel conquering king. The, the, the flowers of death are the roses that lie on coffin lids. And the chalice of his banquet hall is a skull. And the pleasure fountains of death are the flowing tears of a sorrowing, weeping world. But the fact is, will die. For it is appointed unto a man once to die. And that stone that blocked that tomb to the women, that is, before they, it was rolled away, symbolizes that death separates us from those that we love. You see, that stone, before it was rolled away, kept those on the outside from getting in. And allegedly, it kept those that are on the inside from getting out, at least everyone but Jesus. And the fact is, death does separate us from those that we love. But because of the resurrection, we know that that is not the end. David had a child to die, an infant. David wept over that child. And and then after he got through weeping, he took off his garments of weeping. And then out of faith, he said, 
I shall go to him. He shall not come to me. Now remember, David is the one who wrote the 23rd Psalm. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. And close that Psalm by saying, I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Someone says, do you believe that we shall see our loved ones someday? Yes, I do. Those who died in the Lord we shall see again. The Thessalonians thought that once you died, some of them at least did, maybe not all, that it was all over. And a great deal of First and Second Thessalonians is written to, in, to undergird their faith, not only in life beyond, but quite the fact that Christ will return. The fourth chapter in verse 13 and verse 14 are significant. I would not have you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning them which are asleep, that is, that have died. Then he goes on to say in verse 14, For if we believe, if, if there's a condition, if we believe that Jesus died, we do, don't we? And rose again, we do, don't we? Listen to him. Even also them which sleep, that is, they're in the grave, sleep in Jesus will God bring with him. Someone says, what does that mean? That death is not the end of life. There's life beyond. That, that stone also is speaking to us today of the hatred, the intense hatred that the enemies had for the Lord Jesus Christ. They, they wanted Jesus in that tomb. Let me ask a question. Who put him there? Who was it responsible for Jesus being buried in that grave? Pagan Rome? They're the ones that nailed him to the cross. The soldiers nailed him to the cross. And there were the zealous religious leaders who hated Jesus, despised Jesus so much that, that they turned a, a, a murderer loose, Barabbas, and, and they wanted Jesus, an innocent man, to die upon that cross. They wanted him in the tomb. But let me tell you who else put Jesus on that cross who wanted him dead. His supernatural enemies. You might go back to Genesis, the third chapter in verse 15. Where God is in the, came to the serpent or to Satan in the garden and has said, I will put enmity Oh, that's hatred between you and the woman, between your seed and her seed. It, that is the seed of the woman, shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. You know, if you get your heel bruised, that's not a mortal blow. But if you want to kill a snake, you better get him in the head. This is an early prediction that Jesus, the seed of woman, without the seed of man being involved, speaking about the virgin birth of Jesus in Genesis 3.15, we 
would come into this world and that the Son of God, the seed of the woman, would deal a mortal blow to the devil. Now turn in your Bible to Colossians chapter 2. And had we the time, we'd read several of these passages, but just, just read verse 15. Verse 14 talks about Jesus blotting out the handwriting of ordinances by death on the cross. Verse 15, having spoiled principalities and powers, he made a show of them openly, winning the victory over them. Now, what are the principalities and powers? Turn back to Ephesians, the sixth chapter, and verse 12. And he's talking about our, our, our struggle with Satan. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood. When are we going to learn as human beings that populate this earth that we're not enemies of one another? We ought to not be fighting each other. If some alien, if there were aliens from outer space and they were to come to Mother Earth, I think they would think that our chief enterprise is war. Killing. But it's not. Should not be. We wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against what? Principalities and powers against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. You see, when Jesus died on that cross, and when Jesus was raised from the dead, he defeated the devil. In the book of Revelation, chapter 1, verse 18, Jesus said, I am he that was a dead and am alive. And he said, I, and, he, he said and I have the keys of Hades, that's the unseen world, have the keys of Hades and death in my hand. Jesus Christ entered into the strong man's house. That's the devil's house. And Jesus Christ won the victory. You and I today are living in a rather strange time in American history. Amen? But you and I are not in this world from a standpoint of, of defeat. We ought to be looking at our world from a standpoint of victory because it is Jesus Christ who's won the victory over Satan and he will lose at last. He's already lost and he knows that. And that's the reason he's working so feverishly against us today. But death has been defeated. He conquered all of his enemies. Let me tell you something else that empty tomb speaks about. That, that empty tomb stands for the things that come between us and Jesus. You, you see, that, that stone would be between the women that came to the tomb and Christ who's on the inside of the tomb. And, and it's sin that stands between us and him now. Isaiah 59 tells us that sin separates us from God. Well, sin is what separates nations. Sin is what separates families. It separates churches sometimes, doesn't it? It separates friends from one another. It's a great separator. 
But you see, Jesus Christ died for the purpose of reconciliation. And it is through Christ that we can be reconciled to God in one body, Ephesians 2.16. And that's by His death on the cross. He stands ready to forgive even this morning. Folks, that stone's been rolled away. It's rolled away for you and for me, for all mankind, all humanity, that we might have the victory in life and victory in death even. Paul said, thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. That resurrection of Jesus is so, so important. The, the resurrection of Jesus Christ is actually the cornerstone of the gospel. Paul wrote about the gospel in 1 Corinthians 15, and he said he preached the gospel, and they were saved by the gospel. But he said, I preached the death and the burial and the resurrection of Christ. That's verse 3 and 4. Those are the facts of the gospel. The death of Christ, the burial of Christ, the resurrection of Christ. Gospel simply means good news. The good news is Jesus died, was buried, and bless your heart, He has risen. He has risen this day. And, it is, and, and His resurrection it is the fact of our faith. It is the fact of our faith. Let's go back to 1 Thessalonians 4 one more time. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, you, you see, why will, what is there to believe if we first of all do not believe in the resurrection? When I say I believe in Christ, I'm saying I believe He lived, He died, and He's been raised from the dead. So our faith, His resurrection is a fact of our faith. His resurrection is the reason of our repentance. That's the reason we repent. Because He's appointed today, Paul told the Athenians, in the which He will judge the world in righteousness by the man whom He's ordained, in that He hath raised Him from the dead. They were told to repent in verse 30. And the resurrection is the reason for our repentance. And His resurrection is a confirmation of our confession. You know, in Matthew chapter 22, Jesus said that unless you Confess him before men that he'll not confess, uh, uh, he will not confess you before the Father which is in heaven. But look to Romans chapter 10 and verse 9, that if thou shalt confess with the mouth the Lord Jesus and shall believe in your heart God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. You see... There isn't anything or any reason to repent of anything in my life if Jesus has not been raised from the dead. But the fact that He's been raised from the dead is the reason for our repentance and the confirmation of our confession. And the resurrection is the purpose of our baptism. Look at 1 Peter 3.21. The like figure whereunto even baptism 
does also now save us. Not the putting away of the filth of flesh, not a bath, but the answer of a good conscience toward God. How? By the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Because Jesus has been resurrected, there is a purpose, there is a purpose in my baptism. Now, in our closing, if you will, turn to the sixth chapter of Romans. And I want to read verses 3 through 5. Know you not that so many of us as were baptized into Jesus Christ were baptized into His death. Therefore we are buried, that's all the way under, isn't it, with Him by baptism into death. He shed His blood in dying. So to the benefits, the, the benefits of His death, we're baptized into those benefits that just as Christ, listen to it, was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. Now, verse 5, For if we have been planted together in the likeness of His death, we'll be in the likeness of His resurrection. Paul said the gospel saves you. And Jesus Christ enacted that gospel by dying, by being buried, and being raised. We reenact that gospel by dying to sin through our repentance, being buried in baptism into Christ, into the benefits of His death, then rising to walk in the newness of life. This morning, if we knew where Mohammed was buried, and we could go to his tomb, guess what? The old rascal's still there. If you could find the grave of Mary Baker Eddy who said death is an illusion. If we knew where she is buried and we go there, guess what? The old gal's still there. She's in it. If we could find the tomb of, of John the Baptist, head and all. Guess what? John's still in that tomb. If we could go to the tomb where Alexander Campbell is buried. Guess what? Oh, Alex is still there. But you go to the tomb of Jesus. And the tomb of Jesus is empty. He's not there. Are you a Christian? Have you thought about it? Let me let you know that we have the water, the clothes. One thing lacking, we need you to have the desire. Maybe you did that a long time ago and you just have kind of fallen down a little bit on your commitment. To Christ and maybe you just need us to pray with you today we'd be glad to do that or maybe just struggling you're just struggling with something in your life today not a sin but just you maybe struggling with an illness you're struggling with with, with pain family problems whatever it might be we'd be glad to pray with you about that today
I want to thank you for watching today. And in the closing moments, may I give you a personal invitation to visit the Church of Christ in your community. Please do that. And may I urge you, please, to pick up the phone, call for the Bible course, or if you prefer, take it online. But whatever you do, let's get involved in studying more about the gospel. Please, let's do that. I want to thank you for watching today. And until we meet again, may the Lord bless you and may the Lord keep you. It's my prayer. We want to help you as much as possible in your search for a personal relationship with God. You can now easily access our free Bible correspondence course online at gettingtoknowyourbible.com. If there's any way we can help you grow closer to God, please email us at knowyourbible at golftel.com or call us anytime at 1-877-711-5214. Getting to Know Your Bible has been presented by Churches of Christ. If you have a question about the church, or if you would like the location of a Church of Christ near you, or to receive the free Bible course, write to Getting to Know Your Bible, P.O. Box 314, Summerdale, Alabama 36580, or call 1-877-711-5214. Join us next time for Getting to Know Your Bible.